Hey, this is Karen Coach's Corner Chats, and on the episode today, I have Becky Burley. Becky, where are you at, and what are you up to? <laughs> That's a really good question, because it seems to change a lot. Um, I am currently still in Orlando. Um, my interim role with the Pride goes through the end of the year, so at the end of the year, I'll be moving back to Gainesville, um, teaching a couple of grad-level classes in the master's program there, which I did this past semester, too, both online, um, and two new ones this spring semester and doing a little consulting and trying to re-retire. What, what classes do you teach at the grad level? So each of the what drives winning books that have been published are made into a grad class. So this past semester I taught uh, just the original what drives winning and then also what drives winning environments. And then next semester I teach what drives winning teams and what's really important. And is that part of what kind of program are the students in that are taking that class? Yeah, good question. It's a it's sports management and it's um, high performance coaching. So basically it's um, like a coaching development, but you don't have to be a coach. You could be a leader also. Um, it's just very relatable material. How did the whole what drives winning come about and become the thing that it is now? Well, that's a long story, but the Cliff Notes versions of it, um, What Tries Winning kind of existed before me. We didn't call it that yet, but um, Brett Ledbetter, my business partner, had a basketball academy, and he was using um, clips from coaches to teach in his basketball academy. And then when I saw that, I asked him to work with my team at Florida. He came down there. Some of the other coaches got really interested, and then we started doing this head coaches collaboration once a month at UF. And while we were doing that, we thought to ourselves, like, why would we not do this like on a national level, like have a conference that kind of did this sort of thing and invited coaches from all different sports. And so that sort of started the what drives winning conference and um, kind of just grew from there. Has, has coaching always been something you wanted to do? For sure. Um, when, I moved to Florida when I was 10. And before that, we lived in like really rural Massachusetts. And before that, I had never been on a team. And so when I moved to Florida, I moved across the street from a soccer field. And it was really cool to be on a team because I'd never experienced anything like that. My brother played uh, baseball. My dad coached. Um, but there just weren't any opportunities for women or girls where we lived. And growing up, all my coaches were someone's mom or dad. Um, and then when I got to college, I had my first, you know, like full-time coach and I knew I really wanted to coach my parents, especially my dad, like very practical people. They didn't really think coaching was like a career. So I thought I would teach and then be able to coach, um, like at the high school level or something. Uh, but I kind of always wanted to do more than that. But my dad's like, you know, coaching isn't a real job. Um, it's not going to pay the bills. And so, um, I was lucky enough to get a college coach. His name was Joe Pereira, who really was involved with ODP at the time when ODP was like the thing. And he let me, you know, get involved with that at a very young age. So basically from college on, I was dealing with ODP players and it was pretty cool because I just got so much experience while I was still in college. Um, and then, you know, I decided I want to become a full-time coach. My parents kind of got on board with my first job when I started coaching at Barry College in Georgia, um, but then really understood what it was all about when I got to Florida. How did you go about getting that first job at Barry? How did that transition from being a player and learning and doing ODP, how did you end up making your way to Barry? You know, I think it's a lot of that's about networking. And I think people sort of understand networking, but not completely. Like the networking was meeting so many different coaches. I worked at like the Duke soccer camp, the UNC soccer camp, um, all these different camps because Fayetteville, North Carolina is kind of close to both those places. And I just met so many people. And one of the people I met uh, was Ray Leone. Ray was the coach at Barry at the time. And he was leaving to go start the program at Creighton in Omaha, Nebraska. And, um, he said, you know, you could, you could get this job if you wanted to. And I said, well, I just accepted a job as an assistant coach out at TCU with Dave Rubinson. Dave Rubinson was somebody I met through ODP. So it's just sort of this series of meeting people and continuing to invest, invest in those relationships. And then ultimately, um, you know, something positive came out because 
Ray called Dave and said, Dave, you need to let her apply for this job. Um, I applied for it and got it. And it was kind of crazy. I mean, I was 21, didn't know what the heck I was doing, um, graduated in May and started coaching in June. I was going to say, when you look back, what was what were the first, those first seasons like at Barry when you oh. look back at the young, young Becky? I just say, um, thank goodness for those first teams. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were patient. Uh, they were really good teams, you know, like Ray had won the NEI national championship two years before I got there. So I inherited a really good group. And uh, I think a lot of it was just trying to continue what he had built um, and then add my own flair to that. But I feel like, I feel like for me, it was like, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to wow them with my power or my knowledge or, you know, I mean, there were four players on that first team that were older than me. So like, Mm -hmm. it was more about like trying to use influence and trying to model the behaviors that I wanted, as opposed to, you know, coming down hard and saying my way or the highway. And I think that really set the tone for the, the style of my coaching from that point forward. I love the idea of, of you were understood. It was like bigger then a power struggle. I think sometimes you see coaches always wanting to put the fist down. Um, and it was cool, even at that age to recognize, I'm not going to come in here and tell someone who's older than me how to do, I got to, there's got to be a respect type of thing. How many years were you at Barry before you did end up going to Florida? I was there for five years and, and I loved it. I'm actually going back to Barry this coming weekend. Like I still have good friends there and um, when I retired the first time, um, they had a little retirement party for me last wow. summer, which was really cool, even though I hadn't been there in, you know, 20 something years. Um, so really close relationships. And it just set the tone for my coaching career. I had a great athletic director. Um, the men's coach at the time was Brett Simon. He went on to coach at Stanford. Um, again, just you know, I feel like I was born on Friday the 13th. So I, I think I'm really lucky. <laughs> and I just had all these things that sort of happened um, by chance, I think, in terms of the people that were in my life at the time I needed them. So rock and roll out of Barry, enjoying it is at what point did you start saying, you know what, I think I want to go bigger than this? Or did someone come to you and almost similar to the Barry situation where they said, you know what, someone needs to talk to Becky about moving on to possibly a place like Florida? Well, you know, at that time, there was just like this explosion of women's soccer jobs. Um, and I, I was really excited about that because all these, you know, big power five schools were adding soccer. So my initial thought was because I'd gone to a D3 school, uh, Methodist is pretty small. It was only like 1200 people. Um, so I thought like, I really want to go to a small school to coach next. So I was thinking about like, wake forest or you know i had done a grad program with them um through my undergrad i was a biology major and we had a we had a little consortium with them so i thought well maybe that'll be a good mix and then i knew mark burson who was at south carolina so i thought well that's that's pretty cool um i had a couple other schools that i had applied to and gone through the process but when florida opened you know i'm from florida I had actually never been to UF before the day I stepped foot on there for my interview, but all my friends and high school classmates went to UF because it was, you know, the place to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just thought once I got down there for that interview, like I knew, literally I knew I got there in the morning at lunch, I had a small break and I called my best friend and I'm like, I don't really need to see anything else. If they offer me this job, I'm taking it. Um, And fortunately I was the person they picked. That's funny that you were looking at small schools and then and then I end up at Florida. Yeah, which is a large <laughs> campus with you know tons of students and what have you. What was it about? What was that feel? Was it just a gut thing or what about it was so um, appealing? Um, I think it was there was a little bit of a, a gut feeling part of it. Um I think I think a big part of it was the people, you know, the people I met on my interview, like at that time UF was like a lot of the coaches were young and really exciting and it just felt like a really good fit um you know it was only two and a half hours from my parents at the time um and my mom has been she was handicapped most of her adult life and so being closer to them was a positive the florida weather was a positive and then i think the biggest thing was when i got down there and you saw like how successful all the teams were at florida 
it was a no brainer to think that soccer wasn't going to be successful because you knew that if all these other teams who were having the same resources, the same support, um, the athletic department of Florida is like no joke. I mean, they put, they put resources into every single sport and they have expectations that every single sport will be successful. And I think seeing that and feeling that from the coaches um, and then with those coaches, just their personalities, just all of it sort of came together as a great fit. At that point, did your parents, was there a point, like, was that when they said, you know what, this coaching thing might pay the bills, might <laughs> keep going for Yeah, I mean, I, I think they kind of started to get it at Barry. Um, <laughs> you know, my parents loved Barry. It's a beautiful campus, and it was a great environment for me to start my career. But then, like, coming to Florida, like, they had never been to UF either. Um, and no one in my family had even been to college before. So like seeing like a big university like that and the functioning of that, like, I think they really, they really got it in the first year, you know, like at Florida, the first year we weren't, we didn't have a team. We were just putting everything together. That was exhausting. I'm glad I did that once, but I would never do that again. I was going to say, what, what did that entail? Was that just a lot of recruiting and, and, just trying to get Pete, because I guess you'd had to come up with the staff as well. So staff recruiting, um, you know, getting yourself into the community and getting to know people. Um, but it, it was really kind of cool in a way because the year gave me an opportunity to um, really focus on building the team instead of like getting dropped into an already existing program or trying to start a program at the same time. Um, again, I think it was another fortunate thing that happened in my life in terms of timing but I think I think that the cooperation that I received from all of the other teams because think about it like when you don't have a team and you're trying to recruit a whole team first of all you're recruiting a lot of people Mm -hmm. and then second of all you don't have anyone to host them because you don't have your team so I was using volleyball players and track people and tennis people like all the different sports were like literally letting our recruits spend the night in their dorms so that they could get a feel for what school was like well that forced me to create really good relationships with all the other coaches because I was basically asking them to borrow their players for hosting duties and they were so receptive to that I mean we even had like football players who obviously they didn't stay in their dorms but they they took them around campus and you know, were the hosts that were showing them what UF was like. And I think, again, like that sort of set the tone for me to get connected to every single program, every sports program on campus, not, not to mention like all the academic programs, because, you know, kids would say, Hey, I want to major in physical therapy. Can I meet that person? Or I want to major in, you know, pre-law things like that. So um, it was a great way to get in integrated into a college campus. I love the idea of the entire athletic program versus just we're just focused on a specific sport type thing. And I love the idea of, of them all supporting you when you just came in. Um, what were some of the foundational things when you started the program that you thought, now that I've got my own program and I can build it with my own players and such, what were some of the keys that you kind of wanted to put down and lay that you knew in the long run were going to bode well for success? Well, it's funny now that I've been on this, you know, what drives winning um, journey, because what drives winning was kind of founded on the fact that character is part of like, you can repurpose the sport experience to teach character. And I kind of, I guess, innately knew that, that I wanted that as part of the experience of my athletes. And probably because my coach really, you know, um, invested in me as a person, not just as a player. and that was something I don't know, like until I really got into the whole what drives winning thing, I'm not sure that I had a good organized plan around that. I just knew it was something that was really important to me. So we did stuff to that end. But I think once Brett and I met the structure around that all became a lot more clear for me. And and what were some of those things that became more clear? What were some of those things that you implemented that you found success with your group? I mean, I think mostly just like, how do you sort of systematize some of those things? So for example, like if you're going to um, have that as a theme. So for us, like a big thing at Florida was person greater than player. So we were talking, always talking, like when you walk into our practice field, there's a big sign that says person greater than player. Um, And it was, I wanted the players to feel like 
we were invested in them as people first. And we knew that playing was what they did, but it wasn't who they were. So I never wanted them to feel like, you know, they were sort of just these, as I think Anson Dorrance says, uh, like chess pieces that you move around at your will. You know, he, he, he never believed in that either. And I think um, understanding that they're people who play a sport that they love and it's my job to help them progress in their sport, but it's also my job to help them progress as people by the time they leave college. Um, the one thing I love, and I, that's that big holistic idea of like, oh, you're going to be future women that are moving forward and such. Um, what were those first four or five years for you as a program? Like was the, were the results coming? Were there, what, kind of t- were there times where you thought m- maybe this isn't going to work out um, you know, were there- uh, well we definitely had our downs um you know we tried to play a really aggressive schedule right from the start now to take it even one step back because of my connections with odp i knew a lot of really good players pretty directly um and that really helped jumpstart our program because some players that you know, probably would have considered more established programs because of my relationship with them through ODP came. And that really helped, um, you know, Danielle Fotopoulos, she transferred the second year of our program. She was the nation's leading scorer at that point. Um, and she transferred to come to be closer to who was then going to be her husband. He was in Tampa and she was in at SMU at the time. Um, so like, there were just, again, like so many positive things that happened, but we definitely, they, you know, because we played that aggressive schedule, I mean, you know, like the first year we played Carolina, we lost nine, nothing. And I think that was just because Anson told his team to stop scoring. I mean, it was, <laughs> and, and then like the next year we thought, oh my gosh, we've made these huge strides. We're so much better. We're like going to give them a run for the money. And I think we lost five, nothing. Um, and so just like trying to keep, pushing ourselves like we played them every fall every spring and at that time you know they were the gold standard Mm -hmm. so it was it was just not being afraid to put yourself out there because you knew in the end it was making you better I was going to say was that was that difficult to sell the girls on it or did they see like the reasoning behind like if we play these tough ones it's going to make us better in the long run well, I think when we were in the nine zero game, they were not thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember actually one of my friends came to the game and I was, you know, up on the sidelines coaching. I think it was like eight oh nine oh, and they're like, "Why didn't you just sit down?" And I'm like, "Well, like, how how could I do that? Like, if I did that, they, you want my team to lay down? Like, you know?" So um, I think I think once we played them multiple times, um, it got to the point where we were just sort of like we were like sick of them, you know, like we were sick of losing to them. We were sick of getting outclassed. And so we had a choice. We either had to like step up or we were going to keep getting pounded. And I think that sharpening of the saw by playing them so much really helped. Was there, was there kind of a moment you look back and you said that was kind of the tipping point for our, for your program where you said, now we're starting to grab momentum. I don't know if it was maybe that the players it was that group, that chemistry, that mix, or what was it that you look back and go, that's when I knew like, yes, we're make, we're in the right direction. Um, I mean, there were a couple of results that sort of got us there. Like I remember we beat Virginia. Um, it was, a, they played us at Florida and I think, oh my gosh, it was one of those like Sundays where it was like a hundred degrees and a hundred percent humidity. I think when they stepped off the bus, they were like, whoa. <laughs> um, so we might've won before we even started playing in that one. Um, and then we played Carolina for the very first time at home. We had never played them at home and we lost two to one in overtime, but it was the first time we'd ever scored against them. Um, and obviously it was a really competitive game at that point. So I think those were results, but then I also think there were times where it's like, you could just see things in training where like, it was a very competitive training session. People were pushing each other, but then like, once they walked off the field, there was just a whole different vibe of like, Hey, you know, we're here to make each other better. Like one of the things we talk about is like underneath that person greater than player sign, it says hashtag strive together. It's like, how do you take that? intra-team competition and make that healthy and positive instead of like hey I don't want you to play good because like I really want the playing time like figuring out how to try and make that a more positive relationship and I think that's hard you know that's something you have to keep working on like all the time but there were some of those early teams I think really bought into 
the battle of training to make each other better. I love that idea of, I love the idea of battling to make each other better. Um, and then the idea of like, where does my role fit within the team versus I want to be better than the person next to me just so I get more mm-hmm. playing time um, type of thing. When you um, started getting the success, um, winning national ch- titles and, and leagues and all those types of things, was it different now once you were having success? Did it become, did you have to feel like there was a different um, maybe pressure or expectations or did you change your coaching in any way when you became successful? I always hear when you're on the top, it's harder to stay on the top. So what, what was that experience like? Um, I agree with that. I mean, I think we talk about it and what drives winning a lot is um, you light the fire that burns you, you know, so you set an expectation and then nothing is good enough unless you meet or exceed that expectation again. Um, But I think, you know, I think I've always had like a really good group of people around me that kept me very grounded. So my parents didn't know anything about soccer. I mean, till the day my mom died, I think she has no idea what offsides means, you know, and she could watch a game of ours and we could lose four nothing. And she'd be like, you guys played great. And I'd be like, I don't know what you were watching. You know, my dad was not into sports besides, like I said, he coached my brother's little league baseball, but like they just, that wasn't their thing. So there was no pressure from that standpoint for me. Um, And then I had a group of college teammates who I'm really close to, we call ourselves the has-beens. And so we've been getting together every year since we graduated from college. Um, usually twice a year. And that group, although like they were fans, like they supported the Gators because of me, Mm -hmm. um, they were also like very much grounding forces for me. I can remember um, I got inducted into the Hall of Fame for Methodist College and for the conference we played in. And I was like an okay player, like not a great player. And my college teammates were like, this is bullshit. It's only because you're a coach at Florida. This has nothing to do with you as a player. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Um, So it's just like when you have friends like that, that really keep you grounded. Of course, like they were joking, you know, Um, they were kind of a little truth in about the playing part, but, but I think it's, it's always, it's hard to get, you know, too big for your britches when you have friends like that. How important is that side of things? for a coach at the high level that you're at, where I know you're super focused, crushing, crushing, crushing character, you know, setting up sessions, recruiting, all that type of stuff. How important is it to have that balance of, I need to get away. So I need to go with my old friends or go and, you know, and what have you, what type of things are to kind of help you keep your sanity? You know, I think everybody has different ways of creating their own balance. For some people, it's time. For some people, it's vacations. Um, you know, for me, like, I just have a very uh, strong sense of curiosity. I think I got this from my parents who may not have been like formally educated a lot, but they were very much into educational things. Like as kids, we we watched PBS like nonstop. We went on like field trips with my parents that were totally educational and at the time like completely cringeworthy for me as like a preteen and teenager but it kind of instilled in me this like sense of curiosity that has always stayed with me and it's it's about anything like I can get really excited about music or I can get excited about reading or you know going to I've taken like the the community college wine tasting class from Santa Fe College in Gainesville like seven times you know like <laughs> just like all different things you know like um I took a language class like I that for me is like just satisfying my sense of curiosity and for me like those were the kind of things that helped me stay um refreshed like even the people who I worked with, many of whom weren't in the soccer department, but were in either UF or the athletic department, like just getting to know them and supporting them in their lives. Like those are things that refresh me. It's not, I don't need some, you know, big fancy vacation. Um, I just need something that's not soccer. And that happens for me like every day. Um, so I think it's kind of a good way for me to deal with that balance issue. Um, other people, you know, deal with it differently. What, how has the transition from coach to 
professor, I, I guess is what they would call you. What what has that been like to now be kind of in, in the classroom setting versus on the field and and what have you in your in your like comfort zone? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like one of them is like I've never had a player call me coach. Like everybody just calls me Becky. And so I told my students at the beginning of the semester, I'm like, you can just call me Becky. And like they just can't do it. Like some of them are just like uh, professor or some people will call me Dr. Burley. I'm like, I do not have my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's kind of funny in that sense that like a title is important to them. Um, but I think because we're talking about like high performance coaching and high performance leading, um, it really doesn't feel that different. I feel like I'm a career coach for a lot of them when we're talking about like different transitions. Like I have a couple guys in my class that are on the football staff at Florida, which just turned over. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some coaches that are coaching in all different parts of the country. Um, one that just, you know, they lost their assistant coach in the middle of the season and she wanted to elevate herself into that position. So it's actually kind of fun because it's like, you sort of get to stay involved in coaching indirectly. Is it almost like your own mini mentoring kind of uh, setup? Yeah. The word mentor always kind of like, I like to think of it more as like a thinking partner than a mentor, because I feel like mentor like gives you like hierarchy. And, you know, I feel like I learned just as much from these young coaches as I do from someone that's got 30 years experience. And, and one of the best things about teaching is you really find out quickly, like if you've given a good assignment or if you asked a good question based on the information you receive back. And I, I like, I would, I would think about like taking that back into my coaching if I was coaching now, because like this, there was one assignment we just did at the end of the semester. And I'd say a third of the people did a pretty poor job on that assignment. And I'm like, clearly I did a very poor job of describing this assignment and what I was looking for in this assignment, because, you know, maybe if one or two people did, you would say you could justify it. But like when a third of the people don't, like I haven't done a good job of clarifying that. And so the feedback you get as a, as a teacher is really amazing. I, the one thing that stood out to me was one here, here you are accomplished coach um, and what have you. Um, and still, like you said, you have your curiosity and then you're learning even from these young 20 year old whippersnappers. And the other thing I loved was the idea of the feedback type of thing where sometimes we as coaches let that ego get in the way and it's the player's fault, or in this case would be the student's fault of not understanding it. And I love that you took it and said, wait a minute, maybe I didn't set it up in a way that they understood what the expectations were, which I think is speaks volumes, which is why I can see why you would be such an awesome coach in the first place. Well, I, I do think like as coaches, we do get a lot of feedback too. And whether or not we accept that feedback is up to us. So for example, you know, like every time you play every Friday, every Sunday or Thursday, Sunday, whatever days you're playing are feedback sessions of like, okay, how well did I teach during the week in terms of playing against a live opponent, but every day at training too, you know, like when somebody doesn't do a good job with an activity, like you could look at it two, two or three ways. Like it could be, it's a bad activity. It could be that you haven't explained the activity. Well, it could be that it's just stretching them and it needs to look bad before it looks better. Um, and so I think that as coaches, we should really work hard to pay attention to that feedback more instead of just putting it on someone else. Do you use that opportunity to share with the, with your group, your team, what one of those three issues might be like when it's like, Oh, this is on me not a great session. Yeah, we've done that. You know, I had one of the best teachers of the game on my staff, Alan Kirkup, who like he takes the most complex situations and makes them super simple. And even times with him, who I I would tell you could teach like 20 times better than me. um, He would have to say like, okay, time out. Let's start over. Let me clarify. And his willingness to reteach in those situations was a great modeling tool for myself too, because like I said, I think he's one of the best teachers of the game and to watch him reteach something um, to get more clarification was just really awesome to watch. How important was that as you kept going along with the program to surround yourself with coaches like that, that maybe brought something that you, I don't want to say lacked, but that maybe a piece that you wasn't one of your strong sides um, to kind of, you know, 
counterpart what you had. No, I, I totally believe in that. I think trying to find a staff that sort of completes you in terms of um, fills gaps that you might not be able to do as well as somebody else, but then willing to give the autonomy to those people in those roles and not feeling like you're having to micromanage it or feel insecure about it because you're not as good at it as maybe the person you hired. Um, but that was something I tried to do. I mean, I, I had a very stable staff for a good part of my career. Um, and even when I went to the Orlando pride as the interim, I brought Alan with me because I just knew he would be able to teach no matter what level. Talking about the Orlando pride, what, what was that experience like now that you're now moving away from the college scene and going to the professional environment? What were some of the, what was eye opening about that experience for you? Well, first of all, it totally like tapped into that curious side of me. Like I would completely do it again. I mean, it was really interesting because it is quite a bit different in some ways from the college game and quite a bit similar in some ways to the college game. Um, I think, I think for me, I, I always sort of was like, whenever our players at UF would say, why don't you coach a pro team? I would be like, not no, but hell no. Um, <laughs> And so my misconceptions about the pro game were sort of like, it was a totally transactional environment. There wasn't much communication between players and coaches. There was no room for player development. And I don't mean like just player development, but like people development. And I'd say all of those are wrong. I mean, I think the communication piece is your choice. You can make that as much or as little as you want as a coach in the pro leagues. I think, I think athletes at this level really appreciate personal development. I had a, a very um, long-term veteran player say to me in our exit meetings that I was the first coach she ever had that talked to her about something other than soccer. Uh, that was mind blower for me. I mean, it's like a 30 plus year old player. And I'm like, that's insane. Um, and so they like actually appreciate that. And I think that, you know, like it's, it's as transactional or non-transactional as you want it to be. So yes, do you have to move players here and there? 100%. But the way in which that is done is kind of in your control and you can make that a win-win if you choose. I love the idea of that, even the, like you said, it seems like at each level from Barry to Florida to even this, you knew that you could still bring that character piece into it. That, um, And I love the fact that that comment about the player, how you, you saw them as not just a soccer player they were a person, a young woman that was going to be moving forward and, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, is after that experience, is that something that you would ever want to go back to, or was that enough to kind of whet your curiosity? And you're like, eh. um, you know, if I was younger in my career, I think I would, I wish I had discovered my like or love for the pro game earlier, because I probably would have made that move sooner. But at this point, you know, that 10 month season is a little bit time demanding for me. Like there's some things outside of soccer that I want to be able to do that involve travel. And you can't really like pick up and leave in the middle of the season and go travel. <laughs> yeah. um, so that part of it kind of makes it like, mm, can't see that happening. Um, but in terms of the experience itself, um, I, I really, really did enjoy it. When, when you got to, to the point where you decided um, that you were done coaching at Florida. What, what was it that made you think this is the right time to make that decision? You know, a lot of people have asked me that, and that's a really hard question. Um, I don't know. I think it's kind of more of a confluence of things. Like I think COVID for everyone put things in perspective and made people understand what was important. And so obviously that decision happened during COVID. Um, I think also it's like you, I think once you start thinking about it, you have to pay attention to that because there's a reason you're thinking about it. And for me, like I never wanted to coach at a point where I didn't love it anymore. So like the moment I started thinking about it, I made a pretty quick decision from that point because it's just to me, like, coaching takes so much, you know, emotional energy and commitment that I didn't feel like I would never want to feel like I was hanging on to a job because of the whatever pay status, not willingness to move. 
um, because I don't think that would be fair to the people who are involved in the program at that particular time. So for me, um, the hardest part was once I made the decision, because I made the decision probably like late holidays, like um, in like December, January of that year. And then I didn't announce until February. And I thought, I just didn't want to leave the team hanging for that long because we had a spring season that year because of COVID. But then I just couldn't recruit and do some of those things that you have to do knowing I wasn't going to be there. I mean, I can remember one kid called and committed to us. I was really excited because she was a kid that we had wanted to get forever. But as soon as I hung up the phone, since I had already made that decision, like literally days before, I'm like, I cannot, I cannot do this. I'm going to have to tell people that I'm going to step down because I can't get on the phone with her and like be excited about her coming when I know I'm not going to be there. Mm-hmm. So at that point I made the decision to make the announcement. Um, but what I would tell you is like, there really is no playbook for um, how to do that, like how to execute retiring in a way that serves your alumni, your school, your current team, the parents of your players. Like that was really challenging. So I tried to like cover all those bases as good as I could. Um, And I think, I think I did a pretty good job of that, but it was completely trying to figure it out on my own because I, I tried to call some people from other sports and there just hasn't been that many people who have stayed in one place for a really long time and then made the decision to leave that chose it. And so it's a, uh, it was, it was an interesting time. It was a bit stressful to say the least. Oh, can, I can imagine the emotions were probably uh, all over the place. Well, especially the day of, because the timing is so critical because once you tell your team, it's going to be on social media. So like, how do you, tell recruits, your team, the parents of your players. So we had like this synchronized schedule of the way we were going to do it. And thankfully I had some help. Sarah Loudon was on our staff at the time and, you know, she was sending C- emails, you know, send, send, send as soon as I, <laughs> as I was talking to the team, you know, um, we had filmed a social media thing to go out um, all this stuff. Like it was just the synchronicity of trying to get it all done at once. Was, what was the reaction of like, your assistants and your players were they was it a mixture of like we get it we we love you we understand it and kind of like the disappointment um type of thing what was the kind of the feel you know the assistants I had talked through beforehand and you know I've talked to a lot of coaches because now I feel like people think I'm like the retirement expert or something which I am not (laughs) um but some people don't like to tell their assistants ahead of time I did Um, I had both of them had been with me long-term and I felt like I owed them that. Um, The players, it was really interesting. I was, I was surprised at how surprised they were. I mean, I guess when you're in it, you just don't think about things like that, but I'm like, you know, I'm not like a spring chicken or something like they could have at least had an idea that this might happen, you know? Um, So they were really shocked, I think. Um, And that took me by a surprise a little bit. And I think, you know, I I had prepared myself for the reaction to be like, everyone is going to think, how does this affect me? Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that before I even told my assistants, but before I told anyone. So I had in my mind, like this framework of like, how do I address every contingency group of how does this affect me? So when I was talking to the players, that was my message. When I was talking to the alumni, that was my message. When I was talking to my assistant coaches, that was my message, like all different for each group. And so I think if you go into it with that mindset, um, it prepares you for people's reactions because ultimately that's where we all go is how does this affect me? So we, you make the decision, everyone knows what was this last fall like not being being the coach of the University of Florida Gators and watching the season and like, you know, they're your players and you have this connection and relations with so many of them. Did you still get text messages from them saying, hey, coach, did you get to see the game? Any input? Um, how hard was it to, I guess, stay away in a way? Well, you know, like that's where I see the um... – back to this born born on Friday, the 13th thing, like lucky things happened to me. So like this whole thing happened with the pride and it took me out of Gainesville for the fall, you know? So like I literally left Gainesville, I think it was the very end of July. 
um, and I won't be back until January. And I think that was the best thing that could have happened for everybody because uh, for me, I was certainly really busy. I was teaching two classes and trying to coach the pride at the same time. The players had their season. The new coaches were trying to get themselves integrated. And I think it was much easier without me being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, change always produces a little bit of anxiety in most people. And But having to work through that anxiety with the people who are going to be there for you going forward is better than trying to work through that anxiety with somebody who was there in the past. So I was really glad that I wasn't able to be that accessible. And even like watching games, like that wasn't that easy for me because a lot of times we were playing on the same nights and Mm. I wasn't, I tried to, I thought to myself, I'm going to make a concerted effort to stay away. And then I didn't even really have to try that hard because I was so busy anyway. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, As you look forward, so great college coaching career, enjoyed the pride experience is now, what is your focus now moving forward? What does your kind of impact now go um, as we move forward? You know, I, I think that I was really lucky in my coaching journey because like I said, I had really good people around me every step of the way, but I know that not everybody's that lucky and not everybody gets the knowledge of having great people around them to sort of give them the ropes and everything. And so for me, I hope that I can help prepare like the next generation of coaches to have more um, information than maybe I did when I started. And also to have somebody there that can, you know, sort of help you through the process when you need it. Um, And I know like in some ways, like if I, like when you're dealing with a player, you are affecting that player and your whole team. But when you're dealing with a coach, hopefully you're affecting their whole team. So in some ways you can even have a bigger reach by helping out with coaches than you can with players. One of the things I wanted to bring up as well, what was, what was it like being a female coach at the college level? And is that something also that you look like I want to inspire and continue to work and build and get, because I know for sure we need more quality coaches at all levels, but even as much in the female um, side of things as well. What was that experience like, not only being successful, but the fact that you got the opportunity at a large university as, as a young female at that time? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the athletic director at Barry at the time was Bob Pearson. And for him to hire, you know, a 21 year old female, like, was he crazy? Like, <laughs> I mean, but he knew that he could mentor me and he did, he was a soccer person himself. And then he knew that Brett Simon was the men's coach who would help me. So like that was really forward thinking on his part. Um, but it certainly, you know, was a springboard for my career. Cause I certainly don't end up at Florida if I haven't been coaching at Barry for five years before that. Um, and so for me, like with the female side of it, I, you know, I got involved with the NCAA coaches Academy pretty late in my career. And there was a speech by um, one of the coaches there where she talked about like giving back to the game. And I, I really felt guilty after she talked because I didn't think I had done much of that. Um, and it really inspired me to be on this, you know, path of trying to give back and, and not just from like a development standpoint, but also just like on a personal side. So one of the things I try to do is like, if a, if a female coach gets let go, for example, like trying to be the person that can reach out and say, Hey, how can I help you? Like, how can we network? If you want to stay in the game, if you don't want to stay in the game, how can we, you know, talk about that? Um, and then also like be a cheerleader for women when they have accomplishments, you know, like recently, um, obviously Jen Rockwood from BYU was in the final four. And like, I mean, I, I love Mark Corian too. We had a great relationship at Florida. Um, so seeing both of them in the finals was terrific, but like it was Jen's first time in the final four. She'd been there 27 years, um, like trying to support her in a way that, you know, would, like lift her up. And I think we can, we as women really need to do a better job of that. Um, and I think it's something that I learned pretty late in my career. And I hope that I can pass on to people to learn earlier. The one thing and I love is that you've continued to learn lessons, even after, like you said, the experience that you have um, and the resume that you have coaching wise, but not only did you take it, but you're now again, like you're, you're paying it forward. And I think one of the things sometimes we get 
because it's funny to hear that, yeah, the coach at FSU, we had a great relationship where I think in a lot of sports and the way it's kind of put out there is we don't like one another. Right. Uh, We're supposed to hate each other, Seminoles and Gators, but it didn't really work out that way. (laughs) And then even like talking about Anson, like at North Carolina, like these think that, oh no, we're a big, but I, I love the idea of we were helping each other out. We're working with one another, like, you know, for the betterment um, of the game, what kind of things in terms of the, um, what drives winning, what are some of the upcoming things that you guys maybe have in the works or um, I know you got a lot of great online workshops. I've got some of the books. Um, I've done the modules and things like that. I love all of those types of things. Um, what other things do you all have kind of ready to rock and roll maybe here in the next in 2022 and beyond? Well, the, the biggest thing, like the thing I'm most excited about are the classes, because ultimately um, there's going to be five classes. So there were two in the fall, two in the spring. We'll add a fifth one. So there'll be five classes, which is 15 hours, which is a specialty in a master's program. So like being able to whether you take a master's and do this as your specialty or whether you just take these five classes and become like certified in what drives winning through UF, like both of those are really exciting for me. Um, I think they're very hands-on type classes. It's not like, you know, sit and read a book and, you know, do something from that. It's like, you have to practice things that are real. Um, and it's very like some people are like, it's an uncomfortable position, you know, like one of the things that they had to do in one of my classes was they would have to teach a character skill to an athlete on zoom. And then they would have to send me their zoom and I would watch it, you know, and man, like some people were so uncomfortable at the beginning, but by the time the end of the semester came around, like they had improved so much. Um, so it's really hands-on and it's fun. Um, we'll, we will probably go back to some in-person events. We haven't had a live conference um, this past year. So I, I think there's some, some setups where we're looking to partner with some educational groups. Um, you know, this, this What Drives Wooding curriculum is so connected to like, whether it's military, education, leadership, sports, like it's so universal. And I think people are beginning to really understand that. And I think that's, that's what's exciting is it just has like this, like, I think we've just scratched the surface with it. Yeah, I would agree. The stuff, I love it. Um, I've I've been trying to implement some of the things within my, excuse me, high school program uh, and what have you. And and the character, you know, base thing, the person bigger than uh, the player is something that you see throughout the the themed. And I love all of the examples of like with the Mark Few Gonzaga's and having Gino Ariema and just like all these coaches that everyone looks up to. Um, and to hear some of the inputs from multiple sports, it kind of transcends um, all of them, makes it so much easier to relate to for me as a coach. And I know for others that that are doing it. Well, and what's really cool about that, too, is like all those coaches you're mentioning, like they have been guests in, in our class. So like our class literally has access to ask these people <laughs> questions directly, you know, and. I mean, what better education can you get? I think that's the that's the beauty of what drives winning is we're not we're not saying we have all the answers. We're just hoping to ask the right questions so that people can access information and um, you know just people sharing their their journeys and the way they do things. Like you know, it doesn't fit everyone. You know, I'm not going to be like Gino in 100 of the way I coach. Mm-hmm. But maybe I'm going to take a little Sue Enquist and then I'm going to take a little Patty Gasso and maybe a little bit of, you know, Brad Stevens and mix them all together. And then I have a great basis of what resonates with me. Um, I love it. Those are all just uh, just all the names. I was like, oh, my gosh, what an awesome. <laughs> and for those kids or I call them kids because you know, they're young, but college kids to be have that opportunity to hear and to have some Q&As and um, and what have you is amazing. What is it like with your, with alumni? How do you, Oh my gosh, that's my favorite time of year. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, how do you stay connected? Like, how do you build and continue that, that relationship that you've connected? Cause it sounds like, and I know for sure that you're, you get really tight with your players. Um, And even like at the Orlando pride, as you leave in January, I know you're going to continue on building those relationships with those young women what things did you find worked and, and how 
beneficial for you as a coach was it to see them 10, 15 years after they were done playing? Well, we, you know, it's easy, I think, or easier to stay connected when there's only been one coach at the program. So that's a huge advantage that we've had. Um, but, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. The other day, one of our alumni reached out to me and she's just finishing PT school, no PA school, and she is moving to Tampa. She's in Colorado right now. And um, she was like, this is a particular PA that I really like to work for, but that's probably really shooting high. Um, do you have any other connections with PA positions in that area? So all I did was put it on our alumni group me. And in like the first hour, um, one of the women on our there's an alumni, she was from the very first team, her kids go to school with this PA that she was really wanting to work with their kids. You know, another one is better PA in the Tampa area for 15 years. Um, so it's just like when you have that many people coming through your program, there's, there's, you know, forget six degrees of separation. It's probably like two degrees of separation. There's always ways to connect people. And I think that's what our alumni is so great at is like, they're always trying to connect one another with different things, whether it's you're, whether it's you're from the same era, whether you're from a totally different era, like it's just, it's really, really cool. And um, my goal is to try and get you know, Tony, the new coach at Florida integrated with this alumni. So it doesn't feel like there's my people and Tony's people. Like we can have everybody together and continue this amazing alumni tradition that we've had at Florida. Do you have much uh, communication with Tony at all? I do. Yeah. I mean, we've, uh, I didn't really know Tony that well prior to his hiring. We just didn't really roll in the same circles. But um, we've talked a couple of different times. And I think when I get back to Gainesville, we're going to try and connect. That's awesome. I love it. This conversation has been so awesome. Becky, I appreciate you hopping on with me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and shut it down. <clears throat> if my voice will survive. Hey, this is Aaron <laughs> with Coach's Corner Chats with Becky Burley. And I'm out. Peace. <laughs>